This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. We are up here... Almost in Cave Creek, we're really in a, the county, a little island of the county here between Cave Creek and Phoenix, right on Dynamite and 54th Street. A little dirt road, the North Valley Church of Christ sitting here in, in between Tatum and Scottsdale Roads. And we would love to have you come up here and visit with us. We're going to be looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. This afternoon, if you're sitting at home or you're able to look at your Bibles, if not, I'll read you the passage here in just a moment. But let me make mention to you a few things about what's going on out there in the news. I've been kind of avoiding it only because, you know, the news is so depressing and a downer. And I feel like the news media loves to excite panic or stress anything they can do to make you want to watch their programs because they're beholden to advertising. They need you to watch so they can get their numbers up, so they can make money on advertising or get subscriptions or whatever it is. So be careful about the media. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because of the coronavirus. Now, I'm not saying... That that's not something we ought to worry about. Surely it is. Just like the flu or the swine flu or anything like that, it's dangerous. Um, I know that you know a lot of people are putting out there these facts and figures that no one was stressed out about the flu because, and the flu has killed like what was it like twenty thousand or something like that last year, but millions were infected. That's that, that was less than one percent kill rate. By the flu. In comparison, the current rate uh, kill rate for uh, the coronavirus is about three and a half to four percent. That's pretty high. That's three, four times higher than the flu. That's bad. Uh, but it's also not at a point where we ought to be freaking out the way we really are. Now, should we be careful and cautious? Ab- cautious, absolutely. Um, we have uh, uh, folks who go down and visit with a friend of ours in, in a um, care facility, the Belmont. And, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe maybe we shouldn't send anyone down there. Not that people here at North Valley are sick, but we don't want those who are older getting sick. Because guess what the average age is of those who die from the coronavirus? 80. People like my age and younger they get it, get it, and we'll survive. Our bodies can handle it. The older generation, not so much. The bodies can't handle it. So we don't want to get them sick. We don't want to get sick and spread it around. But this is not the end of the world. And this is why I bring this up. A lot of folks bring up, oh, it's the book of Revelation. It's the end times. There's going to be pestilence. I want. No. No. These things are, as I hate to say it, it's normal. It is normal. We live in a fallen world where there's sickness. 
there's issues, there's evil people, there's this sort of thing, and earthquake, these sort of things are going to happen all the time. This will come, and this will pass, like everything else. It will pass. And if you look at the, the map of uh, all the places where it, uh, people are getting sick, if you look at the map, it looks like it's everywhere, but in reality, it's, it's the northern hemisphere uh, where it's cooler, and you go, we start getting further south, you know, you'll see a few people who are getting sick. Very few, if any, are dying because it cannot survive the heat and the humidity. I mean, I'm sorry, in, in the lack of humidity. It, it, it thrives in a high, humid, low temperatures. So guess what's going to happen when it warms up? This is going to fade away. And... Um, but there's a lot of folks out there exciting a lot of uh, concern, uh, I think too much so, but that's my opinion. We should not uh, uh, fall into this category of what we're seeing happening in the news media, people getting out of hand and getting freaked out about this. We, need, should, we should rely, us Christians, we should be responding by relying on the Lord. And not worrying about tomorrow. Am I going to change anything I do? Well, no. I'll, I won't go down to, to Belmont for their sake. Not that I'm sick. I know I'm not sick and I haven't come in contact with it. No, but then again, if I'd, you know, I wouldn't know for like a week or two, I think. That's my understanding. I don't want to get anyone sick. Just like if I had the flu or if I, if I thought maybe I am sick, I'll come over here. I may preach, but I won't. Meet folks, I won't stick around. I'll go out the side door. Or if my kids are sick, they stay home. I don't want to spread that to other folks. Same thing here, especially this, because I don't want anyone to get sick or any other older folks to get sick and die. I want folks to be careful and be cautious. But don't allow that to control your life. And I think that's what's going on. Okay. That's my take. That's my opinion on that. One thing I do know is the book of Revelation that folks are pointing to that, no, you cannot make that correlation. If you're interested in that, you can go to our website, what I have to say about Revelation. I have some episodes on that. Go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. Click on that radio mic, and you'll see all our programs from this radio show, and you'll find a series on the book of Revelation. And you can listen through those and hear my thoughts on that. And uh, and then look at the Word of God, study that out, and see what he says there. But today, this afternoon, we're looking at James 5, verses 13 to 18. And the primary theme of these verses seems to be prayer. Not healing, not sins, even though those, those things are mentioned But here we have exhortations for individual Christians to pray from verse 13, for the elders to pray in verse 14, the whole congregation to pray in verse 16, and all that's followed by that conclusion in verse 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And that's illustrated by the effective prayers of Elijah, verses 17 and 18. So the context, which brings forth the theme of prayer, I think needs to be seen as a continuation of the subject of suffering Christians from chapter 5, 1 through 12. Prayer would be discussed as a help in time of suffering, and that should not be a surprise. Same today. Prayer is a help in time of suffering. Let's read verses 13, 14, and 15. 
James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. All right. Okay, so these verses list three rhetorical questions followed by three commands. And he first asks, is anyone among you suffering? Now, this is not a word that would refer to merely physical sickness, but it's used to mean some kind of physical discomfort as a result of evil treatment by others. In other words, something bad has happened, and the Christian is in some kind of distress or trouble. And so James' response is simply, let him pray. And this means that we should cast our burdens on the Lord and try not to bear them alone. We may find refuge with our God in times of trouble, and he may take us under the shadow of his wings. So don't forget about prayer. The second question asks, Is anyone cheerful? And to this, James says, Let him sing praises. Now, being cheerful can be considered as the opposite of suffering as a result of difficult times. Yet it might suggest that a person is in good spirits in spite of the fact that they are enduring a time of hardship. Those reacting well to persecution or problems they are exhorted to sing praises. Kind of like uh, Paul and Silas. Remember when they were in Philippi? And then they were beaten, flogged, and put into the inner prison and shackled to the walls. What did they do? They were singing hymns, weren't they? Praising God. They they were suffering, but look how they were handling the suffering. So we're, we're looking at two different types of people in the church and how they handle suffering. Some uh, uh, are suffering and are handling it well, they're to pray. Those who are handling it well sing praises. And so, I want to have a little excursus here just for a second. That word singing is the controversial silo word that we find from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, where it talks about singing uh, from the heart. Some suggest that it means to use of a stringed instrument. Um, and that's true. Originally, the term did indicate a plucking of a stringed instrument, but it changed its meaning through the years to mean singing any song of praise or exhortation, which is what it means here. I'm not going to get into all of it, but James would not command, and this is a command here to sing praises, but James would not command every Christian to play an instrument here, since many could not. I like the violin, and if I had to play something, I'd play that. I'd try. I've tried. I bought two violins so far in my lifetime. My wife has not liked it, and I can't blame her because I'm, I'm terrible at it. I just can't learn. I can't do it. It sounds horrible. And could you imagine trying to sing to the Lord while I was scratching away on that thing? And also, this is a command for everybody. 
over in Ephesians 5 in the worship assembly, if that's talking about a, a, a stringed instrument, then everyone in the congregation is required to play an instrument. So I don't think it can be that. I think it's just talking about singing from the heart and using the instrument is not what God was after. But that's for another topic. Here, whether we pray or sing, God is to be remembered. That's the point. No matter what our mood or our response might be to difficult times. All right? Third question, given in verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Now, the term sick is used in the New Testament to refer to physical sickness. Um, The context must indicate how we translate and understand this term. MacArthur, John MacArthur, wants to understand the word as weakness here. Uh, Other scholars opt for the idea of sickness. Uh, I think the evidence in favor uh, of this being a, a weakness may be seen in the fact that the context would suggest a weakness of faith, perhaps, as a result of distress of some kind. But on the other hand, the evidence for this being physical sickness, uh, illness is borne out by the contrast of suffering, which is not illness, but James may now be addressing illness here, and the calling of the elders, since the brother is too ill to get up on, on his own. And then you also see the, the use of the terms restore and sick in verse 15. So I think he's talking about a physical illness here. So those who are, are sick, physically sick, they can't even get out of bed. Let them call for the elders of the church. Uh, the elders being not an old fella, but those in the office of eldership, the shepherds, and the, uh, they're of the church. Um, the word call could be better translated as let him summon. So these elders, which may imply that the sickness is of such an extent, this brother or sister cannot go to the elders. They can't get out of bed. This is a physical problem, and the brother or sister is very ill, not doing well at all. When these elders arrive at the bedside of this sick fella, they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, The main action here is let them pray. The secondary action is the anointing, making prayer the primary act. Now, let's look at that word anointing. Uh, It can literally be understood as rub on. The common word for anoint, not used here. Uh, uh, The the term used by James is the same word, that we find uh, throughout the New Testament uh, where oil or some liquid is rubbed or poured upon somebody. Luke 7.38, a sinful woman anointed the feet of Jesus. Same Greek word used here. Um, Again, the feet of Jesus were anointed with very costly perfume by Mary. Same Greek word. Some women came early to Jesus' tomb with spices that they might come to anoint him. Now, the other Greek term, translated anoint, has to do with the appointing somebody to an official position or office, like what we find in Luke 4.18, and and noting the differences in meaning of the the two terms suggests that we should translate this expression here in James as oiling with oil in order to distinguish it from anointing, because it's not an anointing, they're, they're oiling with oil, rubbing oil upon them. They're not engaged, the elders are not engaging in some kind of sacred ritual, you know, that, that, that would require the, 
you know, anointing into an office. But they're administrating oil by rubbing the body with it as a soothing medicinal act. And it was often used like this. The, the story of the Good Samaritan, who helped that victim of an attack, remember, from a Luke 10, verse 34, it says that he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And in describing the sinful condition of Israel, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 1, The whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises, welts, and raw wounds, not pressed out or bandaged nor softened with oil. See? Medicinal use of the oil. Yet also we see that oil might have been used in instances of miraculous healing. The context must help us decide how the terms are used. And here it seems to point us in the direction of the common use of oil, not miraculous. If we say that it is somehow related to the miraculous healing, then guess what? We're forced to conclude that all elders in the New Testament could perform miracles of healing. Certainly that ability did not automatically come with the office. We find no proof of such a thing in the New Testament. This is just a medicinal use. The main purpose and main reason to bringing the elders? Prayer. This whole section is about prayer. But we get focused on the anointing of the oil a lot here. But it's all about prayer. The oil is a side thing for the elders to do. It makes people feel better. So, here's the immediate question that might come to mind. If this anointing with oil does not refer to miraculous healing, why is it required? Well, we may say it represents the concern of the elders for the health of the one who's sick. If rubbing with oil was a common method of dealing with wounds and soothing the sick, then the elders would do all in their power to provide comfort to those afflicted with illness. This would be done in the name of the Lord. Which repeats the phrase found in verse 10. This, this is done in connection with what the name represents. And it is done as the elders are representatives of the one named. If the brother recovers from his illness, it is due to the Lord and not the elders. Yet James goes on to say, And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So the brother who is sick must be in, in dire straits, not necessarily dying, uh, but he summons the elders to come to him. These men pray for his recovery, but it is the Lord who raises him up. Their prayer is in faith, in the sense that they are putting their trust in God and not themselves, or the oil. So the elders apply oil in order to soothe an ailing body, and the prayer is for his recovery. But only the Lord can raise him up. So it is up to the Lord as to whether the brother recovers or not. We should always pray not our will, but thy will be done, right? Our Father knows what is best in every circumstance, so the prayer of faith leaves the decision to him. The last expression of verse 15 adds, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. 
We should not automatically conclude that all sickness or physical ailments are due to sin in a brother's life. Jesus put the superstition, that superstition, to rest that says if someone had an accident or, or was a recipient of some terrible disaster, then it was due to some sin in their life. This was also the theory of Job's three friends who kept telling the suffering patriarch that he should repent of whatever sin he committed that brought about his troubles. However, we do not receive what we deserve immediately. We often get sick or have ailments because of natural circumstances. Yet, on the other hand, many of our problems are certainly due to the sins we commit, right? If you get drunk and you have an accident while driving, guess what? Your sin of drunkenness is certainly to blame, period. Taking drugs or or engaging in some sort of illicit sexual relations can also bring a harm to a person. James, however, is not saying in the text that this man's illness is directly due to some sin he committed. It is likely that one who is severely ill and might contemplate that he is dying would reflect on his life and would want to pursue forgiveness of any lingering sin. This would be reason enough to call for the elders who are the ones who watch over our souls. In such cases, James notes that the brother's sins will be forgiven him. Not only will the elders provide a soothing for the body, but also a soothing for the soul of a man tormented by guilt. Their prayer of faith will find attentive ears in the one who is willing to grant forgiveness. All right, verses 16, 17, and 18. Hang on. says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. All right. So, this is the next exhortation there in verse 16. Christians in general are to practice confessing their sins to one another. And this is a continuing practice, not a one-time deal. It's not just confessing when we are on the sickbed, but that we make it a practice to deal with our sins on any occasion. Certainly the onslaught of a grave illness may cause us to reflect on our relationship with God, but we should be confessing our sins even when healthy, and confession should be as public as the sin, and that's it. And James follows confess with a second command, saying that we must pray for one another so that you may be healed. This prayer offered in behalf of those who are sick, and confession here may be mentioning connection with someone who is sick, and who wants uh, the brothers to pray for their healing, or or to a brother who simply repents of sin. Linsky says this, Sins that burden the conscience would interfere with such a prayer, uh, with such a prayer, would prevent trustful reliance on God's gracious promises. Conscience would point accusingly to such sins, constituting a barrier between us and the grace of God. All that can be done to have such a barrier removed ought surely be done. It's like when Peter condemned Simon the sorcerer because he was trying to buy the gift of God with money. 
And so he told him, you ought, you ought to pray. And Simon said, well, you pray for me. That was right. Good attitude, Simon Sorcerer. That's exactly right. He did the, the right thing there. Now, next, James illustrates the effectiveness of prayer by a righteous man. He turns to Elijah of old to show how prayer can change things. He was a man with a nature like ours. And this suggests to us that Elijah's praying was not in, in some fashion uh, supernatural or out of the ordinary. Just a common man like we are, even though a great prophet. Yet when he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, it resulted in the reality that it did not rain for three and a half years. Um, and James is reminding us that prayer evokes the power of God to change circumstances. The end of the Elijah illustration is stated in verse 18. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God can stop and bring it, uh, bring forth rain. He has that power. Even today, don't we pray for, for rain, or, or maybe at times pray for it to stop? Or pray for people to be healed? There's a, a, a lot, countless uh, illustrations that show that prayer is effective for the Christian. No, and we ought to be praying without doubting. And how did how did the, the, this open up? Talking about wisdom and seeking it and asking God for wisdom. But if you ask doubting, don't expect you'll receive anything. You cannot doubt. You have to trust in God. Know that he is going to help us if we seek for that help. Our prayers can move God to make such changes in our earthly circumstances. If prayer can accomplish these things with Elijah, then certainly our prayers can accomplish much in behalf of those who are sick and in need of healing. How's your prayer life? Are you praying to God? Are you practicing the prayer of God and practicing confessing your sins one to another, finding that person you can trust to talk to, the, to, to about these things? We ought to be doing this, folks. Is part of the Christian life of growing and maturing in the Lord. And especially nowadays, this country and this world needs our prayers. It needs the prayers of a righteous man. Are you praying? I truly hope so. Let us pray for those who are sick and for the not only sick uh, physically, but sick spiritually. Always go to the prayer. Thank you and have a blessed afternoon. Sitting up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.